Welcome back to the Shepherd Walwyn podcast and the fourth and final episode in the Fred Harrison series. In the previous sessions, we've looked at how Fred came to economics, how he began to focus on cycles and social justice, and how economics was corrupted so that people don't even learn about fairer systems. We also have looked at how Fred has tried unsuccessfully to influence the Russian and UK Parliament to introduce a better and fairer economic system. This led on to Fred's work in the area of social justice and the damage that being separated from our homeland does to us. Now in this final episode, Fred's going to talk about three major topics. We look at the challenges Britain faces in 2021, especially the pandemic and Brexit, and then we're going to look at two global challenges, the accelerated rise of online and online retail, and finally we look at Fred's assessment of China and what's going to happen as we go into the next bus part of the economic cycle. Britain now faces two problems. One is the pandemic and what happens after that, and the other is Brexit. Well, this is uh, the cause for despair for many people because they can't see, there's no vision of what uh, would create a constructive uh, evolution out of the deadly pandemic effects uh, and splitting ourselves off from big market in Europe. Uh, under the current conditions, the current way of thinking about public policy, despair is reasonable because government does not have a constructive plan for sustaining growth from this exposed position that we're in, both in terms of having locked down the economy, necessarily so, to save people's lives, and then breaking off from Europe uh, because of the dissatisfaction that so many people felt, particularly people in the re uh, northern regions. Government doesn't have a vision of how to renew the United Kingdom uh, in a way that raises hope and creates the jobs uh, that can be sustained. So that is why uh, the knowledge that's contained in the Shepherd Walwyn books is so vital. We can construct a plan that not only enables a uh, nation like Britain to begin to rebuild itself uh, by deciding to rebalance the financial system to create the incentives to work and invest while liberating people from the burden of taxation. But this would also enable us to buy time because one of the realities is we have these huge sovereign and uh, corporate debts that have to be dealt with. It can only be dealt with uh, on a uh, long-term basis where there is a coherent plan to pay off the debts without creating bankruptcies and terrible national crises, while at the same time nurturing people's uh, uh, willingness to work and be entrepreneurial. The only way to do that is to liberate the huge value that would otherwise exist if we didn't have to pay taxes on our earned incomes. Britain underperforms every year, according to my estimation, 
by something like 500 billion pounds worth of GDP, national income, because of the deadweight burden of the taxes. We can start to liberate some of that value by changing people's ability to work without the burden of taxes. Some of that additional value that's, that's just been destroyed over the years, every year, uh, would now come uh, into play through the new incentives of not paying taxes. That new flow of extra revenue would start to be used to pay down the debts, to invest in uh, the areas that need new infrastructure uh, and to inspire people with the expectation that actually they're working together to rebuild the United Kingdom after losing our connection with Europe and having had the terrible experience of a pandemic. It can be done. It's the only logical plan that enables people to build back better by increasing productivity without doing so in, in the old way that is actually destructive. We expand productivity for the benefit of everybody by shutting off the sluice gates through which the net income, the rents, are being uh, soaked away by a relative minority. Uh, that is the plan for post-Brexit and the pandemic. It's one that would increase productivity, increase hope, increase social resilience, reduce the despair that, that surfaces in uh, psychological and biological ways, uh, people resorting to the use of drugs and uh, alcohol and so on, and begin to renew the, the fabric of the United Kingdom. I also asked him about online retail and the destruction of our communities. An example of the tragedies caused by the existing tax regime is the gutting of the high streets uh, and the enrichment of the online operators like Amazon. How did that come about? It came about because of a failure of government, purely and simply. When uh, it became possible to create online commerce, uh, governments ought to have said, fine, that's an innovation which will enrich the uh, experience of buying goods, but the online operators will pay the rents of the the spectrum, the electromagnetic spectrum that they rely on uh, for their business. Without access to that natural resource, they would simply not exist. The Amazon business model would be worth nothing without access to the natural resource. So there's a rental value in that natural resource, which properly belongs in the public purse. And if governments had simply said, it's wonderful that we now have these uh, digital technologies that ease life 
for people in so many ways, including being able to communicate with your relatives on the other side of the world through your telephone as you're walking through the park. But you pay the rental value of that resource into the public purse. If governments had done that, the transition away from total reliance on retailers in the high street would have been slow and smooth, people would have adjusted, and there would not have been the devastation of the high street, high street retail community. They would have continued to function, they would have adapted, the time would have been there to adapt, and the online operators would not have suddenly become worth trillions of dollars or pounds, a few of them, almost overnight. That value that makes them mega rich is not on the basis of them being good retailers, it's on the basis that they are taking the rental value of a natural resource and privatizing it. They were allowed to get away with it and they're still getting away with it and there still is no discussion about the need for a rational solution to restore the health of the high streets by telling uh, the uh, uh, online retailers, sorry chum, but you will now start paying the rental value into the public purse. If people were um, obliged to contribute their share of that spectrum, the use of their phones, into the public purse, the transition would have been smooth. It would have been a beneficial development instead of a disaster. And it's not just uh, the commercial injustices to retailers, but to people's health. Children are suffering now because they spend so much time gawking at the, um, uh, the screens of their iPads and so on, that uh, we are now starting to measure the ill health that this creates, the loss of ability to concentrate, to write even, to grapple with words, because it's all now done with symbols and uh, images on a small screen. Uh, parents are neglecting their children. When they walk through the park, parents are not talking with or playing with their children. They're fixated on their, their, their telephone as they're pushing the pram. Family life has deteriorated because it's almost free. They're not paying for the use of the spectrum. If they were, they would ration the use to which they put their iPhones or using uh, Amazon for their goods and the high streets would still flourish and family life would be a, a lot richer than it is. But at the moment, children are captive in their bedrooms, gawking at their uh, iPads, and uh, parents are too busy tapping on Facebook, uh, neglecting their parental duties. I'm just wondering how we, can, how we can make sure that Amazon and the online space pay their way, but also what ideas you have for um, encouraging and, and reinvigorating the idea of community. So the only way to reverse this new trend that's been uh, uh, happening before our eyes in the last 20 years is to change the 
way we value the natural resource that we're using. You see, people are paying for using their phones uh, apparently in an almost free way. They're paying not with cash, but with their data, with their lives. The commercial uh, organizations, the IT companies, that, that uh, are feeding off their communities are commercializing the information about our preferences, our tastes, and using that information to get rich. They base their advertising rates on how they can manipulate the data that they're taking from the way we use our iPhones. So we are paying, but we don't realize it. All that is required now is for government to say the rental resource that we use depend on the radio spectrum. Individual families will have to pay that rent. Uh, if you keep children for hours on their uh, iPads, the bills are clocking up. Dad is going to say, hang on, you can't do that, we can't afford all this. You can spend half an hour on it in the morning and that's it. Now, the, uh, the fabric of our family and our community and the larger economy begins to adjust back to something sensible. Uh, one, and one starting point, the major one, is to say to the IT companies, these huge profits you are making, most of that is rent. We want it to pay for hospitals and schools. If you don't like it, go away. Somebody else will use the spectrum to provide an online service. So we're not worried if Amazon says they're no longer going to serve the UK. Somebody else will step in, pay the rent and provide the service. But in the meantime, we now begin to see the renewal of our high streets because people will say, well, we don't need to pay the rent of the spectrum. All we've got to do is walk up the road and buy our goods from the shops. So we rehabilitate uh, the community's heart, the, the high streets. And it's all done by the simple device of saying, pay the rent of a natural resource into the public purse to, and that rent to be spent on the common good. Uh, there's no reason to discourage that use of the, the innovation through the internet, but you pay for it. So the more time you spend on it, the more you pay. So now, instead of frivolous uses, you say, well, we've got to ration it, as with everything. We ration everything according to what we can afford to pay. Mm. Uh, and uh, so the online communities would continue, but we wouldn't be putting the most trivial stuff on the, the, uh, the internet, which is only self-satisfaction. It's a narcissistic uh, activity to a great extent. But if people were having to pay for it out of their pocket, they'd say, oh, we won't bother with that. It's just the standard model that the rent should be the public's revenue. And so no one wants to discourage Zuckerberg from innovating uh, using the digital technology and he should be rewarded 
for that enterprise, but insofar as he relies on the natural resource, the spectrum, to communicate, that has a value and it just goes into the public purse. And, and everybody gains from that relationship. Nobody is inhibited from participating in online uh, exchanges of information and so on. But you pay. And you pay a commercial value that enables you to judge whether it's really worth your spending so much time gawking at a small screen or letting your children spend hours on end just playing uh, with images instead of expanding their whole personality in, in the traditional ways. Yeah. And finally, I asked him to look forward to the next cycle and the coming crash in 2026 and 28, and to focus in on the agent who is going to have the most influence in that cycle, and that's China. Um, well, I mean, you, you've done the, the remarkable thing of, of, of calling each major crash at least a decade in advance, um, and that you've also written as well about coming into the next one, of coming into 2026 and, and 2028. And within that, you also talk about China quite a lot, and I know you've talked about it when you've been over there. Um, I just wonder, what's your assessment of of how China is going to fare in the next in the next ten years? What do you see happening? China is now the biggest uh, threat and uh, apparently unknown quantity. Uh, it is a uh, huge weight on the global, not just economy but society. It has a grudge against the West for what happened in the nineteenth century. And it was maltreated in the 19th century, to be fair. But it's still living off that experience when the colonial powers intruded uh, to exploit Chinese people. But we're now in the 21st century and they could uh, develop their own economy, their own culture, without uh, wanting to be malignant about it but it is not doing it in the correct way, which means that it, it's becoming a force for evil instead of good. And it's doing so for the very same bad reason that the West evolved in the way it did. Because China, although it retains all of the land and natural resources in public ownership, is allowing the rent of those resources to be privatized as a consequence of which they are now uh, experiencing, experiencing a growing inequality with a few very rich people and a lot of people still struggling at the bottom and the Communist Party using its authoritarian power having to straddle the internal tensions of wanting to grow the, their economy uh, while suffering the imbalances that arise from land speculation, which is what it is, people trying to get capital gains from speculating in new urban developments, uh, and at the same time trying to expunge its uh, old uh, animosity towards the West by uh, devices that don't serve anybody's uh, purposes. And so, 
it's likely, in my view, that they won't grow as fast as they need to to maintain a, st a stable social system. There will be breakdowns of the kind that an authoritarian government can't straddle. And we know from uh, history that the way uh, authoritarian rulers distract their local discontent is to create external conflicts, to go to war. That's the traditional escape route for authoritarian regimes. And my fear is that when uh, the growth rate fails to keep pace with the needs of the people of China, then the Communist Party will intensify its animosity towards the West. And it only needs a, a mistake to be made by someone. Uh, and the mistake could occur in Asia. For instance, China is already in conflict with India over territory, over land, uh, with other uh, countries like the Philippines over the control of natural resources under the South China Seas. And it only needs one mistake by one nation to involve everybody else uh, in a uh, military kind of confrontation. So it's a grim outlook. And the solution comes back to orderly growth based on justice, economic efficiency, and the restoration of rent into the public purse. And it ought to be easy in China because they didn't make the mistake of Russia of privatizing the land legally. No, you can only acquire leaseholds. But a leasehold is worth nothing to society if the rent of that uh, lease is actually being pocketed privately. And so it would be quite a simple device for the Politburo in Beijing to say, okay, we're going to start reducing taxes on enterprises, uh, but we're going to collect the full rents uh, of all the land and natural resources that people are using, uh, and that way we will get a sustainable, a orderly growth, uh, and we can live with the rest of the world in harmony. That's the solution. But will it prevail? I don't know. Thank you for listening to the first in the series of the Shepherd Walwyn podcast. Fred Harrison has been and continues to be a key part of the Shepherd Walwyn family of authors. Um, he's been with us for nearly 40 years and we're excited to see where he goes next with his writing. We're looking forward to seeing you soon when we interview and raise awareness of another Shepherd Walwyn author. Thanks for listening.